Is working out too tough for you? So why not just skip the exercise and pop a pill? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Lori Goodyear, a core director and research investigator at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center, and she's here to discuss the importance and effects of insulin-like effects on exercising muscles. Dr. Goodyear, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I think we all know that exercise is good for you, but tell me a little bit about why regular exercise is so good at reducing the risk of getting type 2 diabetes. Okay, well, exercise, as you said, has so many different health benefits, but in particular for people with type 2 diabetes, we know that exercise can actually promote glucose uptake into the muscle, and that results in lowering of blood glucose concentrations. So during exercise, when your muscles contract, the glucose, the blood sugar goes right into the muscles. We also know that exercise can make the muscles more sensitive to the actions of insulin. So when you eat a meal and your insulin levels go up, the insulin works to promote the glucose, the blood sugar going into the muscles. And if you eat after exercise, then the insulin works a lot better. And that results in lowering of insulin levels. So both of those things are really primary to the ability of regular exercise to decrease risks of diabetes. Now, is there any reason for someone to not exercise? Can you think of any? Someone who's got high sugars, pre-diabetic, diabetic, any reason they should not exercise, assuming they have normal knees and they have a normal heart? The only patient group that really may not be able to exercise or exercise in a more limited manner is people with type 1 diabetes if their blood sugars are not under control. If their blood sugars are very high, then it can have detrimental effects to exercise. But for everyone else, for almost under all conditions and physical states, people can exercise at least to some extent. Dr. Goodyear, can you take me down to the cellular level and help me understand what insulin is doing with the cell membranes on a a skeletal muscle cell? Well, what happens is, again, once the food is eaten and the uh, insulin is secreted from the pancreas, it goes to the different tissues, including the muscle, and the insulin binds to special receptors, special insulin receptors that sit on the muscle cell, and this elicits a whole host of signals within the cell that then result in the movement of these transporter proteins. We call them glucose transporter proteins. They go from inside the cell to the surface of the cell, and then they promote the sugar, the blood sugar, the blood glucose to come into the cell, and that results in a lowering of blood glucose. Is there anything out there that kind of disrupts the normal function of insulin receptors? I mean, are are cellular membranes affected by their fatty acid composition? For example, if you have too many omega-6s versus omega-3s, is there anything to that? Well, there's some evidence that the lipid content of the muscle can affect the signaling within the membranes. But the main problem in people with type 2 diabetes or people that have insulin resistance, such as people with various even pre-diabetes, what happens is not so much what happens on the membrane, but inside the cell. It seems that these signaling molecules that signal the movement of these glucose transporter proteins, it becomes defective and it doesn't work. And so the muscle is insulin resistant and can't take up the glucose. Can you tell me what your research is really focusing on these days and what you're doing day to day? Well, uh, the primary work in my laboratory is to understand not so much how insulin works, but how exercise works and how muscle contraction works to 
promote the uptake of glucose into the muscle. As I just mentioned, insulin works through a particular mechanism, and we know that exercise does the same type of thing. It also promotes glucose going into the muscle, but we also know that exercise works through a very different mechanism. So in people with diabetes, while their muscle is insulin resistant, their ability for exercise to promote glucose uptake into the muscle is preserved. And so we're really trying to understand on the molecular level what's happening inside the muscle, what are the signaling proteins that mediate these important effects of exercise to increase glucose uptake into the muscle. So what have you learned recently, let's say in the last year, that kind of takes conventional wisdom and throws it out the window, that if you were to publish, the community would say, that makes no sense, I don't believe you? I don't know if it doesn't make sense. I think that what we've started to learn is that the signals by which exercise works are very different than how insulin works, and that makes sense because we know that exercise can increase glucose uptake into the muscle in people with diabetes, whereas insulin doesn't. What has been sort of the consensus or the hypothesis over the last 10 years or so is that this molecule called AMPK is the key to this exercise effect, and a lot of pharmaceutical companies are making drugs to mimic the effects of exercise working through AMPK, but what we have found with exercise is that AMPK isn't the only story, that there's there must be other molecules that are also being activated and are also regulating the effects of exercise. So I think this is something that some people are going to raise some eyebrows about because it's almost become dogma that this AMPK molecule, that's the target, that's the molecule. But I think that we are generating more and more data to suggest that there are other molecules that are also important in the muscle. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host, and I'm talking with Dr. Lori Goodyear, a core director and research investigator at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center, and we're talking about the importance and effects of insulin-like effects on exercising muscles. Dr. Goodyear, you, you mentioned that uh, some pharmaceutical companies are working on a, a pill that would mimic exercise. I think it's called AICAR. I have no idea what that stands for. Can you tell me what that is? Okay. Well, AICAR is a compound called ACAR or ICAR. It's actually been around for a long time. And what this compound does is it can be taken up into cells and it can activate this AMPK molecule. And as I said before, we now know if you activate AMPK, you can increase glucose uptake. That's not the only mechanism by exercise, which exercise works, but we know if you can activate that, you can increase glucose uptake. So this was really the basis for identifying AMPK as a drug target. Now, ACARS has actually been around for a long time. We know that it has many other effects in the body and in skeletal muscle, so it can increase glycogen levels in the muscle, which is very important for performance. It can have effects on the liver, so it can have many positive effects, some of which are similar to exercise, but it's not really a viable drug that can be used in patients. If you treat a patient or give a patient ACAR, you would need to give it in very high doses, and it can result in really high levels of lactate, and there's some other problems with using the drug. I've read a lot about resveratrol and that uh, high doses of that may actually also help increase endurance by actually enhancing mitochondrial function. Any thoughts on that? Yes, there has been some very interesting data that's emerging on resveratrol, and it may 
actually work through AMPK, a similar mechanism. So it'll be very interesting going forward to see whether, you know, optimal doses can be obtained and, and that this will turn out to be a viable drug and will potentially mimic some of the, again, mimic some of the effects of exercise. Let's go back to the exercise in a pill concept. It may sound great to couch potatoes, but to me, it sounds very Brave New Worldish, and it just doesn't sound like anything good can come from it. Do you, do you see any downsides to exercise in a pill? Well, I think there are a lot of potential downsides to exercise in a pill. There are so many benefits, health benefits of exercise, that I think everyone in the in the diabetes community or the exercise scientists out there would tell you that it will be virtually impossible to make a pill that will mimic all the effects of exercise. Now, having said that, it's possible that you can make a pill that mimics the effects of exercise, say, on glucose uptake, that could have glucose-lowering effects. And in fact, as I was talking before about AMPK, we know now that metformin or glucophage actually works through AMPK. So it's not totally out of the question that a pill that mimics some of the effects of exercise can have some effects, some potentially good effects for people, say, who have diabetes. But I just think it's impossible, given this tremendous number of benefits of physical exercise on heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, lipid profiles, you know, breast cancer, colon cancer, you know, depression. It just seems impossible that you're going to take one pill and it's going to mimic all these effects of exercise. But there are people and patients out there that have an aversion to exercise, just like my children have an aversion to eating healthy foods. How do you take that patient and take the knowledge and translate it from their brain to their muscles and, and create action? There's a couple approaches. I'm certainly not a psychologist in terms of motivating people to exercise, but I think that the American public in general does not understand the importance of exercise. I don't think we've done a good job communicating the tremendous benefits of exercise in so many aspects of one's life in, in terms of health. So I think that's number one. The second thing is that I think most people, almost everyone, would enjoy exercise and would participate in exercise if they found some type of exercise that they liked to do. No one wants to go out and do a type of exercise that they don't like to do. So if people can find a type of exercise that they like, then they will stick with it and they will continue to exercise. I think the trick is finding an exercise that, that is appropriate, that fits in. There are many types of exercise that are social. So, you know, walking with a group of friends or playing tennis, playing doubles tennis. So there's, there's lots of ways to exercise that can be very enjoyable. And once someone finds that type of exercise, I think the benefits are real and they are able to continue and stay motivated to maintain the exercise. Dr. Goodyear, I know that last month the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services came out with some physical activity guidelines. Have you had a chance to look at them, and do you think they are of high quality? I think they're of very high quality. The people on the panel that developed this are really absolute experts in the exercise science and physical activity field. They spent on a tremendous amount of time pouring over all the literature, and I think they've come out with excellent and reasonable guidelines. The bottom line is that for healthy adults, they should exercise two and a half hours a week of moderate intensity. More, of course, is better, but that's the minimum, and that basically breaks down to 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise five days a 
week. And I think that for just about everyone, there's a way that you can find to do that much exercise. What do you feel is a worse molecule for endothelium in terms of contributing to or even initiating atherosclerosis? Is insulin toxic? Is it sugar that's toxic? What are your theories? I think it's it's really a combination. I don't think that there's one specific molecule, one specific problem. It's it's a culmination of events. Inflammation is is now we know is important in some of these effects too. So I believe it's a, a combination of many different factors. All right. On that note, Dr. Lori Goodyear of Jocelyn Diabetes Center, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160. If you'd like to comment on any shows that we've done, please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM160. And thanks for listening. 